We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. As you make plans this season, consider convenient COVID-19 testing from Quest. Get the same test hospitals use without a doctor visit. Simply order online, select from drive through or at-home options, and get the results sent securely to your phone or computer. It's a great fit for your busy life. With over 20 million COVID-19 tests processed, you can count on Quest. So order your test today at questcovid19.com. That's questcovid19.com. Crossing route, Gurley makes the catch 20. First down, he hurdles. Far side of the field, stays on his feet. Inside the 10, Todd Gurley making his case for MVP. Wait, he throws back shoulder. Higby reaches out and makes an incredible catch for a first down. Off his back foot, he throws to the end zone. Cooper Cup leaping to make the catch. Out of bounds, he has it for six. He's got a knee-high snap, looking left. Now over the middle, he pump fakes. He rolls to his right with Connor Barwin pursuing. He knocks him down. The ball is thrown up in the air and batted away. Incomplete. The Rams' defense clinches it. Goff will come on the field for victory formation. The Rams' sideline across the field from us erupts in celebration. And so the playoffs are coming back to L.A. This January at the Coliseum. We, not me, versus the NFC. And for the first time since 2003, the Rams are NFC West champions. Welcome to Rams Talk Rio. This is managing editor Derek C. Paul with the man, the myth, the legend. Norm Hightower, another edition of the Rams Talk Radio podcast. Before we get into it with our guests, I just want to go ahead and ask, if you could, if you enjoy the work we do, to head over to iTunes, we can use a five-star review and your contest for a $50 gift to get over at NFLShot.com, which I hope you're spending on Ram stuff, not this Falcon stuff that we have you know, with our guests. Don't want to do that. But also... SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Android, Player FM, and don't forget iebeatradio.com, which airs our show on Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Okay, so appearing today on our show as part of our tour in the league is Aaron Freeman from the Locked On Falcons podcast. Later on is Eric Schlitt from USA Today's uh, Lions Wire and the host of the Lions Breakdown podcast. We're going to talk with each about how their team did this offseason and get their views on how the NFC is going to stack up this year. Before we started, though, we want to thank one of our sponsors that makes this show possible, and that is, well, it's Jim Hawks, Hollywood's team, great glam of the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. Most of us are practically addicted to anything L.A. Rams. Well, if you want to learn more about this team's history, the bit of personal touch, check out Jim Hawks, Hollywood's team, great glam of the 1950s L.A. Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. As we approach Father's Day, check out his son's story of his father and the team he played for in an era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. We hear about players like Norman Van Brocklin, 
Elway, Crazy Legs Hirsch, Tom Fierce, and Les Richter in this story spanning the 1950s LA Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at hollywoodsteam.com and Twitter at hollywoodsteam. It's available in hardback and electronic form at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. You can also find this book, Hollywood's Team, through various other booksellers on the internet. Folks, I read this book. It's stinking good, okay? If you want to get into the history of this team, 1950s, an era where this, where the franchise emerged, where Hollywood emerged, this is a great opportunity to learn about it. It's well-written. It's a great story about a person's father and the, story, and the legacy he left behind. So, again, check it out. Hollywood's Team, Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. All right, so first of the show, Aaron Freeman from Locked on Falcons. He was also on the show when we previewed the Rams-Falcons NFC wildcard game. He provided a lot of great insight for us. So we're, we want we can't wait to hear what he has to say today. Aaron, welcome back to the show. How are you? Thanks for having me back, guys. I enjoyed it last time. I hope I enjoyed it tonight. Well, let's get right into it. Uh, the Falcons just made Matt Ryan the highest-paid player in the league this offseason. How did the, the, the Falcons work around this big contract when playing their 2018 offseason? And how does this contract affect the Falcons down the line for their future? Well, this contract has sort of been inevitable in the works ever since Matt Ryan's 2016 MVP season. At that point, you know, after he had that uh, season where he was the best quarterback in the league and the best player in the league, according to voters, it became clear that he was going to get another mega deal uh, as opposed to sort of a deal that sort of slotted somewhere in the top five um, among quarterbacks, and he was going to reset the market in a lot of ways. So with this deal looming, the Falcons um, knew that they didn't necessarily have a ton of cap room to spend this offseason. Um, had they gotten this deal done earlier, maybe in, in February or March, maybe they would have had a little bit more money to throw around back at the outset of free agency. But they knew they were going to have a pretty quiet offseason. Where this deal sort of impacts the Falcons, the ramifications – Really, at this point in time, we don't really know just because the Falcons have a number of young players, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, that they've drafted over the last three off-seasons that are going to be coming up to their second contracts in the very near future. And I think some of those players may not, the Falcons may not be in a position to really afford to pay those guys market deals when those contracts come up. And really, sort of, at this point, where one of the big questions is are going to be who are those particular players that may not be able to be kept around. The Falcons are currently working on contracts with Jake Matthews, their top pick in 2014. They're coming up on deals with Grady Jarrett, who's going to be a free agent after this season, who was a fifth-round pick in 2015, but has sort of um, arguably is their best defensive lineman at this current point. Um, but that does leave deals for other starters like safety Ricardo Allen, who's coming up at the end, who's also entering a contract year. You have Vic Beasley, who they exercise a fifth-year option on that keeps him around to 2019 so they can sort of punt that decision on, on what his contract is going to be. But then at the same time, they have guys like Deion Jones and Keanu Neal, Devondre Campbell. Um, they also have, after that, Tack McKinley, as well as anybody else that they have um, from that 2017 draft class and the 2018 draft class. So there's a lot of unanswered questions in terms of the fallout of the Matt Ryan contract, but I think the Falcons are more than happy to have him at that price tag because that means, you know, there's another four or five years of him playing in Atlanta and they know if they have a quarterback secured of the caliber of Matt Ryan, however, it puts them in the position to compete at the highest levels. And if that means they, you know, can't resign players like Devondre Campbell or Ricardo Allen, then so be it. You know, it's certainly a bigger positive than sort of a negative in that sense. Hey, Aaron, it's Norm. Glad to have you back on the show. The Falcons weren't incredibly active in free agency this year. What is the most important move that they made this offseason? Probably in terms of securing issues that they had, and I'm sure you guys are very familiar with these issues because your team was able to exploit them quite effectively in the postseason, was sort of uh, upgrading that right guard position with the addition of Brandon Fusco. While Fusco uh, with the 49ers is by no means a great offensive guard, they hope that he can provide a little bit more consistency than the incumbent in West Schweitzer did a year ago. So that's really the position that they plugged the biggest hole at. Uh, they just recently picked up Terrell McClain where they really needed to sort of get more bodies to sort of replace guys like Adrian Claiborne and Don Terry Poe, who were going to, if they had been re-signed, they, they wind up leaving for Carolina and New England, respectively. 
if they had been retained, they would have been big contributors on the interior along with Grady Jarrett. So they just picked him up. Uh, he's not necessarily going to be a huge difference maker, but he certainly gives them a, a solid run defender in the middle to sort of fill the void that some of the void that Poe left in the middle. But really, in terms of the move that moves the needle the most, the move that's going to have the biggest, most obvious impact on the field is probably the selection of, of Calvin Ridley with the first round pick. Really, their expectation for what Ridley will provide is a more explosive element in the offense that was missing last year with sort of the team, one of the issues that the team had in the transition from Kyle Shanahan to Steve Sarkeesian last year as offensive coordinator was that it really sort of marginalized Taylor Gabriel. And the team is hoping that Gabriel, who was a real big factor in their sort of record-setting offense in 2016 with his explosiveness and his dynamic abilities uh, down on the field, they're hoping that really can sort of provide some of that. So if there's one player that you're going to look at that's going to say, you know, he made a significant difference on the team, it's probably Calvin Ridley. So you mentioned the draft, Calvin Ridley. How did the Falcons fare in the draft, and what were their worst and best picks? It's interesting because, like, everybody expected the Falcons to take a D-tackle. With Taven Bryan on the board at pick 26, it was a real shocker when they picked Calvin Ridley. You can argue, you know, depending on how you fall on sort of the best player available, you can say Ridley was their best pick if you believe that he was the best player available at that pick. Um, but I think in terms of a value standpoint, most people, there seems to be a consensus that Isaiah Oliver, their second round pick, is the best value with their selection. Getting a player that is arguably one of the, the three or four best corners in the draft, who's arguably a first round talent uh, all the way at the end of round two, was a really solid value. It gives the Falcons um, a much needed upgrade at the cornerback position in terms of size. Uh, with Oliver being uh, six feet tall and having exceptionally long arms, it gives them a guy that can sort of go toe to toe with some of the bigger receivers that they'll face in their division, like a six foot five Mike Evans, like a six foot three Michael Thomas, uh, among others. And so they really were lacking that on the on the uh, defensive side of the ball at that cornerback position. In terms of their most questionable pick, it, it's hard to pick. You know, typically you're going to go with a, one of their day three picks. Um, one, you know, one selection you could argue is uh, their six-round pick, Russell Gage, just because he's primarily a special teams guy and isn't necessarily going to uh, have a huge impact on offensive defense. But the Falcons are sort of hoping that he can be to their special teams unit, sort of what like Matthew Slater uh, is in New England, which is a guy that's carved out almost like a decade-long career as a as a gunner on special teams in this uh, uh, ace on that uh in the third phase of the game and the falcons hope that a guy like russell gage can do that only time will tell if he sort of lives up to that status so he's probably the most questionable pick just because he plays a phase of the game that doesn't get a lot of pub well you mentioned the the 20, 2016 falcons offense and then sarkeesian coming in and and things changed a little bit what are you hearing about the falcons offense this year and what direction do can we expect them to go in 2018 well, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know if you have guys that have enough time for me to explain it all. Um, no, it's a very complicated issue. I think the expectations are certainly high that the offense will sort of bounce back, um, maybe not to the heights that it was in 2016, um, but certainly will live up a little bit more to what the expectations were going into last season, where the expectations were that the, the team would regress in, in, in some ways, but they regressed at sort of a um, historic level when you look at other comparable offenses like their 2016 offense that were scoring at that at that rate. Um, nobody suffered as much a regression, historically speaking, as the Falcons did a year ago. So there is an expectation for the pendulum to sort of swing back. And, you know, if they can get a guy like Ridley and get some more explosive plays, um, that'll be a huge uh, boost to the offense. And, and they're sort of counting on their defense to make strides as well and sort of create a few more turnovers that will also give the offense a few more opportunities that they can take advantage of. But yeah, you know, Sark has sort of gotten a very bad rap. Some people would argue deserved and some people would say undeserved based off of his first year. Um, certainly he doesn't have necessary the pedigree that Kyle Shanahan had uh, when he first joined Atlanta. So it's a big question whether or not Sark is going to live up to those standards. Uh, to a lot of Falcon fans, 
in particular, there's a very short leash on on Sark. Uh, I don't think the team necessarily has that. So I think they're going to sort of figure it out and hope that, you know, some of the things that they started doing a little bit better in the second half of 2017, they'll be able to pick up where they left off in a lot of ways and, and, and sort of be more akin to the offense that they were uh, at times in 2016. Well, you do sound a little bit doubtful here. What's your gut? Is your gut saying, hey, this offense will be back next year, or are you still thinking, eh, I'm not so sure? <laughs> I, I think – I think they'll they'll bounce back to a degree. I don't expect them to sort of lead the league and and be blowing people away like they did two years ago. But I, I think they'll be a top ten sort of offense in terms of scoring potential. Maybe maybe potentially pushing into the top five range. You know, if I had to, if you were asking me who's going to score more points next season, the Rams or the Falcons, I'd probably put my money on the Rams. I think that's what the smart money is. But I think the Falcons certainly have ability to sort of close that gap and maybe, you know, if you're gambling on it, uh, maybe make you sweat a little bit down the stretch uh, about whether or not you, you're going to win that bet. On the Atlanta defense, on the flip side, really came up huge last year where the offense struggle with defense was was outstanding. Uh, many, many games where they just shut teams down. You mentioned Don Terry Poe. He's, he's gone. So what are their prospects for this season? On paper, how does that, you know, look? Yeah, they have a lot of young players, as I mentioned earlier, with those guys coming up on, on their contracts. But they have a lot of young players that you can argue haven't necessarily sort of hit their peaks just because they've only been in the league for a couple of years. And typically you sort of see guys hit their stride usually in, in years three, four, and five, um, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. So I think there's an expectation that, you know, things are really going to start to gel and you're going to really see this defense be one of the better defenses that the Falcons have had in a, in a very long time. This is not a franchise that historically is known for playing great defense over the years. And that's been sort of a, a pet project. Dan Quinn coming over from Seattle to sort of get this team to a level where they're sort of synonymous with strong defensive play, like the Seattle Seahawks were, have been for the, you know, the better part of the last decade. And so I, I think, you know, they have a lot of reasons and in, in areas where you feel confident that they, they, I think they have one of the best secondaries in the league. Um, with their cornerbacks, Desmond Trufant and Robert Alford, really strong safeties in, in Keanu O'Neill and, and Ricardo Allen, with the addition of guys like Isaiah Oliver, that only strengthens that unit. They have one of the most athletic and, and fastest linebacker core in the league. They're not necessarily the stoutest guys when it comes to you know playing downhill and defending the run, but they play sideline to sideline. They're outstanding in coverage, and that's really sort of where the, the NFL game has been going the last several years, and so they certainly are in, in the vanguard in that sense in terms of having these fast athletic linebackers. The real question is going to be the pass rush. With losses like Poe, with losses like Claiborne, Claiborne led the team in sacks last season with nine and a half. Vic Beasley, who led the NFL in sacks in 2016 with 15 and a half, had a down season. In, in terms of that, they're hoping he bounced back. So they're hoping that Tack McKinley, who had a very strong second half of the year, is able to sort of continue his development. They hope Grady Jarrett is able to also pick up the slack. But really, they're sort of putting a lot of their hopes on the terms of their pass rush, taking this defense to that next level where they can be one of the more formidable pass rush pass rushes and defenses in the league. You guys are very familiar with, with this. When you when you have playmakers like an Aaron Donald and now an Dominican Sue, that really takes pressure off players at the second and third levels of the defense to really necessarily have to play at that elite level in order to get that high-level defense. And that's really been what's missing from the Falcons. And so they're putting a lot of, pinning a lot of their hopes on those three players in, in Beasley, Jarrett, and McKinley to really make those next strides and be those difference makers up front. And if they are, then I think that the sky is really the limit for this defense because I certainly say, as I said earlier, on the on the linebacker core on the second level in that in the secondary, you know they're as good as it gets in the NFL. Well, I don't want to beat a dead horse and talk about the Super Bowl loss too much, but you know I know it really affected me because I was real high on Atlanta kicking the pants off of the Patriots, and then you know the whole comeback thing happened and all that. How do you think uh, the loss affected the team last year? I think it. I think it's certainly in the early portion of the season it, it seemed to be something that was lingering with them um because they just you know they hit a stretch in the middle that's in in the around week four 
um, where they sort of they came out hot three and zero, and then in week four against the Buffalo Bills, they struggled in that game, and then they sort of lost three straight to some questionable AFC East teams. And I think they sort of got out of their funk in the second half and, and finished the season with a six and two record. As you guys know, they they went to the playoffs and were able to, to make a, a little bit of a run and almost were in a position uh, at the end of that Eagles game to win it and go to the NFC Championship game to sort of at least be in a position to avenge themselves, I guess, uh, in terms of the Super Bowl. Um, I think, you know, last season was sort of a year where they could get that monkey off their back. And by winning a playoff game and being uh, in contention at the end in that Eagles game sort of was their way of showing people or showing themselves that, you know, they're not going to be defined by that Super Bowl loss. Um, You can argue that they had another disappointing end to the season with the final few plays of the Eagles game as well. But it is one of those things where I think they were able to sort of break through that mental barrier last season. And I don't think it's going to be an issue that lingers too much uh, in in 2018. And I think, you know, it's really going to boil down to what they do on the field more so this season than last year, where that sort of cloud was hanging over their head for, I think, a a significant portion of, of the 2017 season. All right, so are the Falcons good enough now to compete for the NFC, NFC South title? And where are the chances right now, in your view, of making it back to the Super Bowl? I think the chances are pretty good. I think they're certainly going to be in contention in the NFC South. As a longtime observer of the NFC South, it's hard at this point in time in the year to, to place any bets on who, who's the favorite just because there's been such a topsy-turvy division over the years in its existence. Um, if someone said that the Saints are the favorite, I don't think I would be too much disagreeing with that. But I think the Falcons are certainly right there with them. I think the key for them to sort of compete at the highest levels and, and potentially face the Rams, maybe in the rematch in the, in the postseason, uh, you know, maybe in the NFC Championship type of uh, format, maybe, um, I think, you know, is, is pretty good because I think if the offense can sort of get back to being at least a top 10 unit, and if the defense can make that leap and be a top 10 unit, it's hard to say that when you have top 10 units on both sides of the ball, that you're not one of the better teams, one of the three or four best teams in the NFL. And I think that's really where the Falcons are expecting to be able to say that they're not just as they were in 2016, which was a super dynamic, amazing offense, but with a pretty mediocre defense. And then for large portions of the 2017 season being a very mediocre offense with a pretty good ascending defense. And I think they're sort of hoping that both of those units get to the same level and be at the top of the league. And I think if they do, then I think the sky is really the limit on sort of where this team's potential is. All right. Hey, Aaron, once again, thanks so much for coming on the show. You always give us good insight about the Falcons. And I, I, you know, by the way, I would love to see, a rematch. I, I I didn't like the way that game ended. <laughs> I, I want I want another shot at this. I, I you know, this is personal. I, it's, it's not a, it's not a uh, a negative view of the Falcons. You guys played a great game. Yeah, I I, I would agree with that. And I, <laughs> they, they they came out played a very good game, probably a little bit better than I was expecting. I can't recall exactly what we talked about in that previous episode, but yeah, it was certainly. A really strong game for the Falcons. I, I don't think we got the best shot from the Rams. And I think it would be curious to see, sort of see uh, both those teams go toe-to-toe again in 2018. Well, let's, we, let's be honest. They just kicked our butts in the trenches. And, you know, that was that was all it took. And uh, hopefully we've we've redeemed ourselves in that area. But, yeah, you guys, you guys walked all over us in that game. It was not fun to watch as a Rams fan, but Atlanta played very well. And they were smart. As soon as Brockers went down, the Falcons just took advantage of that and just went running right at the middle, right at the middle, right there on the edge there. And and they just, I mean, it was it was hard to watch. It just was, my gosh. This, you know what? You know, Aaron, you, you just make me sad now. I have to go. I can't <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, you can find Aaron on Twitter at FalcFans. Also, he hosts Locked On Falcons. They're a good show. So you know what? Give him a look. You, you, you don't, don't, uh, just don't let his podcast get in the way of ours. Okay, you know, ours, ours goes first, right? Okay, Aaron, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, right. Aaron. He always brings such really, really 
good perspective into the Falcons. And um, but I was I'm also contrasting it to the interview we had with David Romero from the Saints on his BS and Beer podcast. Um, and I'm not sure if this podcast will be out before before release this one before that one or not. But in that one, he in that podcast he mentioned that he really didn't think the Falcons were that big of a threat. And I think what he was really kind of getting at was there are certain gaps in the Falcons roster, like Don Terry Poe leaving, that makes them or make them not as much as a threat as maybe other teams would would be. He even stressed more Tampa Bay coming up this year, finally, if Jameis Winston can figure it out. So I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm big on the Saints in that division. I'm also big on the Falcons. I like how the Falcons have been doing things the last couple of years. And, you know, they walked over us. So I'm not sure how to take all the conversations we've had with the NFC South guys in the last couple of days. Well, it'll be hard to tell. I mean, that's a tough division as well. And any one of those teams can get on a run and you just never know what's going to happen. I'm not a, I'm not a huge believer in Sarkeesian. You know, I've got a lot of familiarity with him from Washington and, you know, being a Pac-12 guy and, and that kind of stuff. So I don't know that that offense will ever be as good as it was, you know, with Kyle Shanahan, but they're going to they're gonna have to step it up in order to, to compete against New Orleans, I think, this year. But didn't he do a solid job coaching Washington? Yeah, he did, but right now he's not a head coach. He's an offensive coordinator, and I just – I don't know that that's his – I just don't know that he's at the NFL level if that's his forte or not. Fair enough. I mean, there, he's got so many skeletons in his closet. You, you just don't know what you're really going to get from him, to be honest. Yeah, that's very I true. Mean, I mean, I hope I hope the guy, for the sake of his career and the sake of his family, that everything's going to be fine, but it's not necessarily a sure thing, right? No, it's not. We'll see how it works this uh, this next year. I, I hope it works out well for Atlanta. You know, Atlanta's a good team. And, uh, you know, I'd love to see Sarkeesian, you know, not only get his football life together, but get his personal life together, too, and, and you know, be happy for everybody. Hey, before we, uh, before we move on to our next guest, let's thank our longtime sponsor from the Golden Ram Barbershop. If you're looking to support one of your own in the Orange County area and like the old school barbershop experience, check out the Golden Ram Barbershop at 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California, 92683. Sal Martinez opened up his shop as a shrine to the Rams on the day the team left for St. Louis and has kept the light on ever since. He's by appointment only, so give him a call at 714-894-RAMS or 7267. Use the promo code RAMSTALK so he knows that we sent you and get a discount on an already affordable haircut. The Golden Ram Barbershop is open Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Saturday from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. One more time, give Sal a call at 714-894-7267. A visit to his shop is worth it to just enjoy the Rams memorabilia and also have a great football experience and conversation and that old school barbershop experience. Trust me, folks, you won't regret it. Sal even managed to make both us ugly guys look pretty good when when we left there. So give him a call and set up an appointment. And also, hey, we're looking for sponsors for the 2018 season. This is a great, inexpensive way to get the word out on your business. Our numbers are growing very fast. I actually went through the day and was, was well, stunned. And so some podcasts that we taped almost a year ago got some major hits of late, not even sure why. Um, so it, the, the numbers are growing. So if you're interested in some fairly cheap advertising, I think it's pretty cheap, reach out to us at ramstalk1945 at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. We do have a media kit ready to get out to you, and uh, we hope that uh, you you consider us. If anything, you put some ads up on the site as well. All right, so our next guest is Eric Schlitt from USA Today's Lions Wire and the Lions Breakdown Podcast. Eric, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being uh, here. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I know it's a little late for you. Uh, for those... The, those who don't know, a lot of podcasters, myself included, we do this. We have home studios, man. We got like kids upstairs screaming and crying, <laughs> and, you know. So I'm <laughs> glad he made it on right on time. Okay, so Eric, right out of the way, let's yeah. get let's get this question out of the way because this is going to be the elephant in the conversation. What on earth is going on with the Matt Patricia story? And could this lead to him losing his job, or is the national media blowing this out of proportion? What's really going on? 
Well, I, I think there's a lot of unanswered questions, and that's the big deal, is um, he was, you know, obviously 22 years ago, he was accused of something, and uh, it was a serious enough situation where it was headed to court, and then it uh, didn't resolve in the court actually having take to take place. And so he, you know, never really got a chance to say his side of the story, but... Um, his accuser's side of the story is out there. And so we, we, we have these reports um, against him, but there's no definitive answers to, uh, I guess, op- oppose it. And so that's really been his stance is that he vehemently denies that it's uh, happened. And he talks about wanting to um, be able to defend himself and, we really just don't know what happened and I don't really think we're going to, um, you know, a lot of the reports where people have gone back and looked at the case and they've talked to, uh, like arresting officers and the, the sheriff in charge and even the, um, jury members, no one recalls the case at all. And so with witnesses, you know, uh, memories deteriorating and as the years have gone on and, and, a real lack of evidence that or new evidence that is probably on the frontier. Uh, my guess is that it is a story that will have a lot of question marks, but it will pro- we've probably seen as much of it as we're going to. Yeah, the timing on that was just really insane. You know, he's been yeah. a, he's been a high profile coach at at the Patriots for such a long time, and now now he's a head coach with the Lions and. Then the story just suddenly comes out. It, the timing on it's just—it's horrible. Yeah, it's the off season, and then uh, unfortunately, one of the things that happens in the off season is that um, you know there's stories like this come up, and this is a—if it's true, it's a—it's a horrific story, and if it's—if uh, it's not true, then he is—he's uh, being accused of something he didn't do, and that's equally as bad. So. It's a bad situation all around, and it's not something that Lions fans are real happy about. But it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a story that people, you know, need to know. It's something that is out there, and um, but I don't know where it's going to go from here. I just I don't see short of the uh, accuser uh, coming forward and you know reaccusing. I don't know what else they, is going to happen because it just seems like it was uh, so long ago. And it's never been brought up previously. I just, I just don't know if anything will result in it other than just a "we've done our investigation and we're satisfied" type of situation. So, just to clarify, then you're not even. I asked you, could you lead to him losing his job? The jury's out. You can't wait till at this point. I don't think it will. It would have. There was something new would have to show up because based on what's out there now, is it's a he said, she said. And with no she said in the conversation and, um, you know, she the 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 person that person had stepped away from the situation. And unless she would come forward again, it's basically his he's telling his side of the story versus court documents. And so there's no I don't see any legal thing. uh, I don't see any legal movement moving forward unless, like I said, the person that is accusing him uh, comes forward. Well, I, I think it's time we talk football, and, and when, that beca- <laughs> when that becomes a real issue, I guess we'll yeah. maybe look back at it then. The Lions were pretty busy in free agency. Um, what was their strategy this offseason? What positional groups did they focus on improving the most, and, and were they successful at doing it? So, yeah, they kept their offensive coordinator and Jim Bob Cooter in, uh, in with the new coaching staff. And so from an offensive perspective – they were pretty stable. They just, they, they really wanted to improve the run game and they attacked that both in free agency and the draft. So that was the focus on offense on defense. It was almost a complete rebuild because the, the focus on the defensive scheme has been completely overhauled, uh, looking for more versatility, moving away from the traditional four, three that we've seen in Detroit for such a long time it's been more focused on getting the types of players that would fit into the system. The defense is still progressing, but the offense uh, is, is very solidified. And I think they're really happy with what they're going to put on the field offensively. Uh, Defensively, there's still a lot of question marks though. Moving a little bit towards more of that offense, just one really simple question. Why didn't Eric Ebron pan out in Detroit? 
Well, there's a few reasons. Uh, and the biggest one was the price tag. He, um, he had a very high uh, uh, dollar sign attached to him this offseason. And with the way that the offense was being structured and the, um, the draft capital and, and, and uh, money that they put into to their receivers, I believe there was a shift in, uh, in philosophy. Uh, Kenny Galladay really had a terrific rookie season um, as far as rookie goes when, when he was healthy. He, his, he had an injury hiccup, which caused him a bit of a, um, a, bit of a down period. But when he was uh, actively involved, he was a pretty big part of the offense. Often he outsnapped Golden Tate at the end of the, the last few games of the season. And it, it's pretty clear that they want him to be involved in the offense. And with Marvin Jones and Golden Tate already there, and Kenny Dalladay being pushed forward. Well, now Ebron is at best your fourth option on offense, and with a uh, you know eight eight million and change dollar price tag attached to that, plus you have a lot of receiving uh, running backs. I just don't think the value met the price tag. Um, there's also some rumors that there were some personality conflicts between him and management, and uh, they were looking to go in a different direction. They had they drafted uh, tight end Michael Roberts previously in the previous year's draft, and they liked his progression. They were willing to go out and buy cheaper uh, free agent options and Luke Wilson. And so I, they felt like I believe they felt they could get a uh, the same type of production out of what would be possibly their fourth target on offense at a much cheaper price. Well, the Lions' running game has been struggling, especially last year, and and actually for a while. What, oh, yeah. What did the Lions do to address that this offseason? Uh, the, the first thing is is uh, their first-round draft pick. Frank Ragnow uh, is going to come in and, and put a stamp on that offensive line. Uh, they they had uh, some health issues last year on the line that really caused them some problems, and their backups just weren't suitable to come in and start for any length of time, and, and it was a big problem. They, they only had their starting unit together, uh, for two games the entire season. The rest of the time they were had a, uh, a reserve in there at some point. So adding Rag now really helps them uh, add a piece to uh, that final piece to the offensive line. And if they can stay healthy, then that's a massive step right there. They also dra- drafted uh, Tyrell Crosby uh, in on day three, and he's another addition where if they do have an injury, he's a capable uh, you know offensive lineman to come in and step in added a couple other pieces, experienced offensive linemen as reserves. And then in addition, drafted uh, on Johnson in the second round, uh, the running back out of Auburn. They draft, or they signed LeGarrette Blunt in, in free agency. So they've added two running backs and drafted two uh, offensive linemen and signed two offensive linemen in addition to uh, bringing in a couple more blocking tight ends as well. And then, like you said, with Ebron, um, uh, moving on, they are promoting some of the younger guys who are more blocking tight end. So there's been a real shift in being able to try and find something to happen in that run game. Oh, they also drafted a, a fullback in the seventh round again uh, as well. Nick Bowden, uh, the, who was the blocking fullback for at San Diego State for Rashad Penny. So they've brought in a handful of guys and that are specifically going to help them hopefully improve the run game, which is really the first thing that Bob Quinn talked about in the offseason where he wanted to address, it's just he talked at length about how he was disturbed by it and he felt that it was one of their biggest issues uh, from last season and he wanted to correct that. So you could really see it come to fruition when he drafted uh, when he drafted four guys out of the six picks that they had that were all uh, in some fashion will impact the running game. So, Eric, how do you guys feel about your draft this year? How would you grade it? I, it's tough for me to assign grades just because I don't, you know, I we never know how these guys are going to pan out. But as far as, I, I think they filled the needs on offense that they needed to. I don't think they really have any major holes on offense. Could they upgrade a spot or two? Yeah, maybe. They, But there's really deep uh, across the board at the first and second level. If they have an injury they have another guy who can step up on offense. So I'm real, I, I feel real confident that they've done what they wanted to do on offense. Uh, on defense, they added a couple of, uh, they only added two guys uh, in the draft, but they added a handful of other guys in, uh, in free agency. Now, 
I'm not sure how those guys are going to pan out. It, it, there's a lot of question marks about how the offense, how the defense will be run and where do these guys fit and who will play where. One of the standard lines uh, this offseason for defensive free agents when they're asked what position they'll play, they have a very coy, I don't know yet, I don't know exactly what I'm doing. And they, they all kind of have this uh, you know aura of mystery about what they're supposed to be doing because – They've been sold on this concept of they're going to run a multiple t- style defense. And so they'll be asked to play multiple positions. They'll sometimes they'll be asked, like, for example, Devin Kennard. He was the first guy that they went after in free agency. He will play this outside linebacker, pass rushing outside linebacker, and almost sometimes the defensive end, depending on the front. And so he'll have like a, a variation of roles that he'll get to do. So when you look at the draft, Every guy has a role, and so like those offensive guys, like I said, helps fill those pieces in place. But on defense, I mean, we could see them impact right away, or it's possible, depending on how things shake out, uh, they might just be reserves uh, for the next couple of years. So it's hard for me to get a real good feel with a couple of the picks, but I really like what they did on offense. Well, I think that they did a great job with their alignment, getting Ragnow and then Crosby, you know, Everybody who listens to our podcast knows that I have a lot of familiarity with the Oregon Ducks. And mm-hmm. I, I used to cover the Oregon Ducks, and I've interviewed uh, Tyrell Crosby and a few other players. And he, he was an ex- – I mean, I, I thought he'd go in the top 30, top 40 picks. So I think that was a great steal for you guys. There was, there was uh, rumors that the Lions were targeting him at pick 52 in the second round. And when they traded up and got carry on Johnson – uh, well, obviously, after drafting Ragnow, it, they didn't, we did, most of the media didn't think he'd be in play in the second round anymore. But once he fell to day three, he started to get jumped back into the could they maybe go after him again? Um, and, it, and it proved that they that they did. I, I don't understand why he fell. I know there's rumors about uh, possible concussions, but he said he's never had one. And um, he's a talented player. I'm uh, I'm pretty excited that he's on the team. I think that he could be. Uh, a future starter, and uh, I think he's going to be one of the bigger steals in the draft uh, when it's all said and done. For sure. Now, your quarterback there, Mr. Matt Stafford, what is his legacy in Detroit right now, and how is he viewed by both the fans and the media? You know, I, I think it's positive almost across the board. There's only a few fans out there who still think that he's overpaid and not worth it. But ma- the majority of people understand how he has evolved as a player and while i think outside of detroit he still gets that stigma of he uh you know calvin johnson was made matthew stafford and i think when we're seeing uh, at least statistically over the last couple years his his numbers have gotten better and then when you watch him you can see his decision making has changed and and how he approaches the game has changed and uh, I think he's improving, and now he's set almost every Lions record that there is. I mean, and by the time his career's done, he'll have them all. So he'll have a he'll have a legacy as one of the better Lions quarterbacks of all time. But he he really needs to be able to do a couple more things to really cement that, in my opinion. Um, this team has not you know won a playoff game in a while, and that still kind of hangs over the head. Like you talked earlier about the. Uh, you know, the, the running game hasn't been good for, for several years. Uh, this is another one of those things that kind of hangs over the lines. And so if uh, he's able to lead them to to a, a playoff win, it'll go a long way into helping him uh, become one of the one of, if not the best uh, franchise quarterbacks that this team or that this franchise has had. Well, right now on paper, the Lions look good enough to compete in the stacked NFC. Where do they fit in within the NFC North? You know, I think right now it's this is still Minnesota's division. Uh, they, you know, they were all the way to the to the championship last year, uh, the NFC Championship last year, and I feel like they've gotten better. You know, they they've changed a couple coaches and they and they changed their quarterback, obviously. But Minnesota's a very good, balanced team. They can run, they can pass, and they have an excellent defense. So it's going to be hard for teams to get past Minnesota. Now, Green Bay getting Aaron Rodgers back is really going to help them. But um, that team is getting older, and as it's getting older, it's the injuries are starting to linger with them. And so they're kind of a question mark right now. I think the Bears are still a little bit too young. So I, that, that, for me, that puts the Lions 
uh, safely in that third spot, competing for that second spot. And it would take a lot of luck for them to get up and knock Minnesota off the off the pedestal in the north right now. All right, so our last question here is real simple. How has Matt Patricia affected that organization since he's been hired? Has, he, has it been a positive thing? Are the are the players gravitating towards him? You know, how are they taking him? Yeah, they're taking him very well. I think a lot of the free agents came in specifically because they liked him. Um, a lot of the existing players on the team have embraced him and actually have come to his defense and talked about what a character person he is, especially in light of the news that we started this conversation with. Um, several of them have said, you know, that they back him and that they support him. So he brings uh, a winning attitude and a sense of positivity. And his way of connecting with people has always been one of his uh, trademarks. And it seems like he's really been able to do that with this team already. And while we haven't seen that impact, we'll get to see that impact more as training camp comes around and as the season goes. Uh, but it, it's all been positive up until this this last uh, bit of breaking news uh, has come out. Uh, but the players are all very much in, in support of him. And uh, so is the organization. They back him and have stood by him. And uh, they're very excited to to bring in the, the type of energy and, and football knowledge that he brings to the organization. All right, Eric. just want to thank you so much for coming on the show, folks. You can follow him at The Lions Wire. That's on Twitter, at The Lions Wire. His personal is at Eric Schlitt on Twitter there. He's also the co-host of the Lions Breakdown podcast. The Twitter there is at Lions Breakdown. Thank you again for so for coming on the show. And you know what? Yeah. Uh, I think Norm and I are going to make it, might be making a trip up to Detroit for that game this year. Oh, and, wow. Uh, so, it, cool. It might, be a, it might be an interesting prospect to do a joint podcast. I'm not sure if you'd be interested. Yeah, 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 definitely. We can touch base and uh, we can look into that for sure. All right. All right, folks, again, this is Eric Schlitt from Lions Breakdown, Lions Wire. Again, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, Norm, How? what do you feel concerning the Lions this year? The Lions are one of those teams that always seem like they're good enough to compete but never good enough to win it. And that's, that's you know, I feel bad for them. I mean, I really like to see the Lions do better, and you expect them to do better than they do. The, the Lions are one of those teams that come to mind. Folks, we had I had a conversation planned for the Rams on this show today, um, but we're running out of time, and we do need to kind of just you know make sure we don't keep you here too long. Keeping you here too long means you tune us out. So let's go ahead and and uh, spend a little time with our last sponsor, give our final thoughts, and we'll call it a night. So it is summertime, just about in Southern California. It's getting hot. You know, the sunny visits to the pool. If you're looking to have that pool redone, remodel, reserviced, even put a new one, check out Jayhawk Pool Plastering and Remodeling at 4780 East Wesley Avenue in Anaheim, California. Jayhawk Pool Plastering and Remodeling serves its Orange counties, uh, serves in Orange County and the Southland, and are run by Jayhawk, the eldest son of former Ram John Hawk. He built this business on a mantra of fantastic results and amazing customer service. So just head on over to jayhawkpools.com, take a look at their work. You can see the quality of their finishes and in their testimony, uh, testimonies that are provided by the customers. And it's actually pretty good stuff, man. So if you're looking to remodel, resurface, or even put in a new pool, give Jayhawk a call at 714-695-0700. Again, that's 714-695-0700. You can also email them at info at jayhawkpools.com. Folks, it's a great opportunity to, help, to support our podcast because they're, they're keeping our lights on. They're having faith that our peeps would be interested in doing business with them. So, And they are part of the Rams family. John Hawk was a solid player for the team. His family still cheers the Rams. Jim Hawk wrote a book about them. So if you need this work done, give them a call. If you live out there, I promise you, you won't regret it. Okay, so that does that. So real quick here, we talked, Norm, about two teams that are solid, solid, solid teams. And are you noticing a theme in our interviews right now? Are you noticing this theme that the NFC, I think, is stacked? Well, it's been stacked for a while, and it's continuing to stay that way. I think the top four teams in the NFC right now, the Saints, the Rams, the Eagles, the Vikings, I think any one of them, should they go to the Super Bowl, will be Super Bowl favorites. And I think you can make the case that the Falcons would be as well. I am serious. I don't, I don't like the direction of the Patriots or where they're going, and – it feels to me a lot like how the conference was in the early 90s when the NFC had that long streak. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice to see 
a Super Bowl without the Patriots in it? I'll tell you, it would be even nicer. If they were in it and we beat them. <laughs> yep. Yep. The only way I, I would... the, the only way I want them in the Super Bowl is if we're playing them. Otherwise, I... let's have somebody new. But I, I'd really like to see the Rams-Jaguars this year. I think that'd be a great matchup. It'd be a heck of a game, and it'd be a lot of fun. But uh, if the Patriots do make it to that level again, I hope it's us that gets to go in there and, and get some redemption. I, I just wanted to see... You know, I still, I've never forgotten Super Bowl 36, never will. I'm not over it. I still think they cheated, but, you know, that's just my opinion, not fact. I can't just, I can't put that out there. All right, folks, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TalkRams or on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. I've mentioned this before. Right now, I can promise you we've seen numbers drop on Facebook. The algorithm's hurting us, so fix that. You can fix it by going to your preferences and choosing us, if you really enjoy our, our Facebook page, I promise you, we don't talk a lot. But when we post some, it's meaningful. Also, if you don't want to do that, you can join the Rams Talk Room. That's our group on Facebook. That gets a lot of play. Also, you can find me on Twitter at DC Paula, Norm at Norm Hightower. Don't forget us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Android, Google Play, Player FM, and IEBeatRadio.com. So, for Norm Hightower... This is Derek C. Paul. Take it easy. Adios. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this left on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the make. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve, too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.